six or seven will probably be on that that final that final vote that the committee will then um, vet before it gets put back out. Are you ready to uh, name any of them? Well, sure. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, there was there, they, 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 there tend to be a lot of W's. Hello, everyone, and welcome to At WCSU, the award-winning podcast that touches on all the touchy subjects we can find at Western Connecticut State University. Today, we have a good one, sure to infuriate many and satisfy few. We're going to talk about retiring Colonial Chuck and replacing him with a brand new mascot for the university. We will also revisit all things COVID, which is highly irritating to residents of Litchfield Hall, as well as our own Rada Krell, who will explain herself later in the podcast. But for now, I'm Paul Steinmetz here with Pete Puccio. What do you have for us, Pete? I, I like that as the uh, the tagline for the podcast, infuriating many, satisfying few. <laughs> yes, that's what uh, that's what we do here. Yeah. It's a good corner to stake out. Yes. No one else wants it. You're right. So we're going to talk about this uh, changeover from Colonial Chuck, who's been a mascot apparently since 1976. And we have a costume and everything. And uh, we're changing him out. Some people question, Pete, whether why we're changing out the Colonial, because Colonial's fought for America's freedom against the British. That was all good. The Declaration of Independence was all good. You know, beating Britain, that was great. But colonials can also evoke colonialism in South America, Asia, and Africa. And there's just about nothing good about that, especially for our students who are working studying here now, who grew up in those places and directly suffered from the colonial era. You can also go into um, slavery was part of the colonial era and all that in the U.S. So uh, it's not a student-friendly name anymore. And a couple of our guests, Jay Murray, who's the Associate Vice President for Enrollment Management, and Anna Adabambo, who's been on our podcast before and is the president of the Student Government Association this year, our co, not co-hosts, what do we call them, co-chairs of the committee that is looking for a replacement for Colonial Chuck. And they're going to talk about the process, some meetings they've had, and uh, some of the best ideas that have come forth so far. Should we go into that, uh, Pete? Yeah, it was really, and I'm not going to step on it, but it was really interesting. They both brought up a couple of really interesting points that I hadn't thought about. You know, I was I was a student here in the late 90s and early aughts, and, you know, we were the Colonials then, obviously, but I don't remember anybody ever really talking about it or thinking about it other than I had this one professor who would always make fun of it because Colonial is not a noun, so how could you be the Colonials? You can't be the plural of something that isn't a noun anyway it's an adjective so that was like one more reason not to like the name (laughs) that was kind of the one thing um but yeah it's 
But otherwise, people lived with it, right? They didn't think about it in a negative way. Yeah, I don't remember anybody having strong feelings about it one way or the other, which I think it was before we were recording, but that's kind of something that, that Jay was saying, is that it, it, it seems like the vast majority of people are fairly indifferent about this. So I yes. don't know if that makes it any easier or harder you know, process to go through, but it's, it's something to think about. It makes it uh, more anger-provoking for people who were going along thinking colonial was something to be proud of as far as American history and not offensive uh, to them personally and hadn't been offensive for a long time. I think that's but, it. We're so far removed from it here, but in other places in the world, it's current. Right. It's present. So, right, and uh, it's a. We have new students. We're moving into a new era, all the time because uh, at a university you're always um, moving forward, bringing in new views, and it's uh, we're adjusting and uh, welcoming that. I'll say in my PR role. There you go. All right, let's go to the discussion with Jay and Anna. You both are the co-chairs of the mascot committee. Where do we stand right now? Anna, you um, want to start? Sure. So um, last Friday, we had our town hall. So this was really our first town hall. We had to postpone our November, October, November town hall. Um, we had pretty good turnout. I personally was not expecting 40 people to come. Um, and I think, you know, Friday night, Friday evening, um, people do work, work full time. So, you know, they might be working till five. So I really didn't know what to expect. And, um, we went through, we presented the choices. We also explained why certain choices weren't, um, I don't want to say feasible, but it wouldn't be wise for us to choose, um, just cause of high school mascots, um, uni university usage at other universities, um, so we felt that that was important to just, you know, cause people don't want to see that we just said no. And I think explaining also just shows like, this is the rationale and it's better for the university. Um, we did have our debrief, our meetings are Tuesdays at 2 PM this semester. And we kind of just talked about what we heard and how to move forward. Um, so now we are talking about, um, what our ballot's going to look like logistics of setting up the ballot, anybody that we need to contact. And that's also um, what I was discussing in my previous meeting. Um, so I'm definitely going to go with our um, go contact kind of our legal contact here at the university to kind of see um, just with intellectual property rights, anything that we may have missed when we were doing our research. Um, so that's something I'm going to bring to um, the table next Tuesday. Um, but that's basically, I, I don't know if you want to add anything, Jay, to that. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I think that was important that we covered on, on Friday, um, was the fact that 
you know, there's still a misconception out there that we're, it's like a recall vote, and if um, our current mascot gets enough votes, we, we keep it. No, no, the, the, the ship has sailed, the decision has been made um, that we will no longer be the, the colonials, and that's important for people to hear. And, and two is that we're, we're trying to, to get the entire community involved in this effort, or at least hearing the effort so it's community-wide and it doesn't appear that a handful of people are just making a decision that there is there's been input from faculty staff students as well as alumni you know everybody was invited to that invited to that town hall but also everybody will be included um, in in the final vote for the that the committee will then make the recommendation back um, to administration and uh, I've been hearing the biology department is pushing the tick as a <laughs> uh, mascot. Is that going anywhere? No, no. It was, it was, it was definitely on the lower end. There, I think. Anna, correct me if I'm wrong. There were like 380 individuals who recommended mascot names, and one of the things the committee did in the fall was they they took that list and we went we narrowed it down to the the top 10 or 15 uh, recommendations. And the the unfortunately the tick was not in that uh, that top tier. Yeah, we looked at popularity. Um, we also, I think, we do have a couple that maybe we're kind of in the middle, but we also felt we're something that could be considered as well. Um, but I do remember seeing Tick and I got, we definitely had a, an email from one of the faculty members. So I definitely remember that choice coming up. What, uh, so do you have it uh, narrowed down to five or six or something that you're gonna put out on a ballot? Yeah, it's, it's I, I don't remember the exact number. It's definitely now down less than 10 because in that, that list of the top 10, 15 vote getters, we had four that were competitors, um, collegiate competitors, or were popular, <clears throat> popular high school mascot names here in the, uh, the eight town area that we also don't yeah. want to don't want to go with. So it probably is at six or seven will probably be on that, that final, that final vote that the committee will then um, vet before it gets put back out. Good. Are you ready to uh, name any of them? Well, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, there was, there, they, 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 there tend to be a lot of W's. Um, they, I believe uh, wolves, Wolverines, Westies, the dog, um, worms, <laughs> um, did I say whales, <laughs> is, is in there. Mm. Um, do you remember any more, um, Anna? Off, offhand, I'm trying to think. Um, let's see. I mean, I remember doing research on wombats, um, warthogs. Yes. And let's see. There was another one that was a non-W. Um, but Oh, t yeah, tigers, but okay. that's the Ridgefield mascot, mm -hmm. so that's probably not going to um, make it to the ballot. So you committee members, each of you had a couple of names to do research on, right, before this um, town hall meeting? Yes. And I think you found out that wombats and the other one that you did mentioned, um, they aren't even American or U.S. <laughs> soil type of animals, right? Which yeah, is kind of a negative. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and, yeah. and you know, they, they, it, 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 there's a good and a bad to that, um, Paul, because some of these things are so unique that it would be uh, it would be a name nobody else has. Um, yeah. You know, there were, and one rec example is whales was a popular recommendation, um, and you know, certainly maybe 
maybe for us Gen Xers, we're hearkening back to the mighty whale playing in Hartford, um, mm -hmm. but certainly to the whaling industry. But whales aren't exactly indigenous um, to Connecticut either. Um, but, you know, and, and wolves, which was the, by far the most popular recommendation, that's not, um, I think coyotes is an indigenous animal, but wolves are, wolves are not to this part of the country. So, um, but because of that, it tends to be less popular as a mascot in this area. So therefore, you know, there's a no. there's an argument to say, oh, we'd be unique. We'd be the only, I'm saying this tongue in cheek, yeah. we'd be the only worms out there. I heard a lot of talk about worms at that Friday meeting. What's the feeling about that? I, I think there's some, um, one or two committee members who are not thrilled um, with that as a, as a recommendation. However, the student who must have been one of the people who put forth a recommendation had a real um, thought out justification for it um, that we you know, certainly didn't hear from anyone else who had, who had put forth names that were already on the list. We heard folks come forward, like I think there was a, um, the men's soccer coach talking about, you know, maybe we should talk about you being united and it should be the WCSE united, you know, and he had a justification for that. It wasn't on the list, but you know, that was, that, that was kind of, I, in my opinion, that was kind of one of the things that we wanted to get um, early on was not just names drawn out of hat. I mean, any of us can, can do that, but, but things that had relevance or meaning to WCSU, um, the state of Connecticut, the region as a whole that we could kind of get behind. And, you know, when you, when you heard him talk about worms, he, he'd actually put some, put some work into this. Mm-hmm. Anna, what's, uh, are you putting worms up on that list then? I mean, I, it's really up to the committee and, um, what's your personal feeling about worms? Worms? Yeah. Um, I just, with seeing how much wolves, so on the student side, 70 students said wolves, wolf or wolves. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if worms is going to be received well. And I'm just worried about the uh, people thinking that I chose worms, even though it was elected. And, you know, I, I'm not worried about like my reputation, but I just, I'm just not sure if it's really going to be the winner. It's just not a strong, you know, like you can't say the mighty worms, right? It's like, you're not going to go out and uh, crush the other football team. It, it's thing. tough, but I think uh, one of the people in the town hall mentioned, I think in response to worms, um, you know, that his favorite mascot was the, um, oh my God, I, sea slugs? Um, but it was some, it was some, some school, banana slug, banana slug. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, so it's so bizarre and so, um, unique that it became a rallying cry. I'm not, again, I'm not supporting words one way or another, but it was, it was an interesting take on kind of a, an odd and unique name. Actually, most of the earthworms around here are from Europe. They are were imported, you know, oh. a long time, hundreds of years ago, and took over from the native worms. So that might be something that we have to consider too. Ooh. <laughs> and uh, among students, are there? Have you heard that some of them supporting uh, or not being happy that we're getting rid of colonial? Yes. So um, I've definitely seen that on social media posts on the WestCon accounts. Mm -hmm. um, we only had 11 
out of um, like for 70 wolves, 20 or sorry, 19. I have the spreadsheet pulled up, so I'm mm -hmm. able to give numbers. Mm -hmm. um, 19 was second for whales, and then colonials came in third for 11. Huh. So um, it is a cluster. I don't, I think there are students who just don't understand or think that it's unnecessary and I think with, you know, growing up, I, you know, I think about it and like every car dealer is called Colonial. So I think just from seeing that they're like, okay, like Colonials is everywhere. So why do we have to change it? So mm -hmm. I think it's just more of an educational and there is a political um, layer to it as well. But I mean, they can be loud, but I don't think that it is the majority of students because this has been something that's been talked about my freshman year and even then it was something that i knew had been talked about years prior yep. so i'm sure you know now people who are alumni it's it's definitely the majority of people who want this change and are excited to see it go mm -hmm. through yeah that's good the and, and, um, and Paul, on, on that note, you know, most people were surprised. Even the committee members, we were surprised. Um, uh, Daryl Dennis, who was a who was a student back uh, back in the day, I'll just say, and uh, um, our archivist Brian Stevens were explaining that Colonials was meant to be temporary for the bicentennial, um, mm -hmm. and and um, it was not the top student choice, but also the top student choice did not get that many votes to begin with. Um, and it was just that it never got revisited in 45 years since then. So it's almost like the committee is doing the work that got paused 45 years ago and we're just keeping it forward. And I think a, 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 a lot of people would be surprised to hear that. And also, there are only two or three other schools in the country um, that are the colonials as well. Also. Hmm. It was during the bicentennial, and our, you know, our, our VP for Student Affairs, Dr. Betts, he was at George Washington. Well, they were the Colonials. They are also in the process of removing that as their mascot name. So this is, this is to Anna's point about maybe perhaps students just not being educated about it, when you start to look at the whole thing and piece it all together, you realize that, that we replaced a mascot um, when we were the Indians for good reason removing that, and went to something that was supposed to be a placeholder that and that is to a certain extent as not politically correct as the mascot it replaced. Um, yep. The and that was back in 1976, 200 the bicentennial yeah. country. So you know maybe made sense back then. Right. And when you look um, and when you look at look Colonial Chuck and you think of that, well that makes sense for 17, 1976. Mm -hmm. I mean come on, yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, it's not just politically correct. And of course, universities and colleges are accused of being politically correct all the time by certain uh, segments. But, you know, it's taking into account that there's an offensive um, part of it. It's mm -hmm. not that, you know, the revolutionaries weren't fighting for something admirable, et cetera, but um, that there were other things they didn't we didn't haven't thought about until yeah. more recently that uh colonialism uh suggests here and all around the world that um uh we don't want to evoke with our school name right right school right. mascot yeah colonialism it wasn't about uh, inclusion it was about domination and eradication yeah mm-hmm yeah 
And actually, a lot of our students come from places where that is exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything you want to add about that, Anna? No, I think that's... It's not that controversial about from among students. Students get it, right? For the most part. Yeah. So you, the committee has done, is trying to, as I understand it, make this as known as possible on campus so that everybody who has, who wants to can voice their opinion. Every student who wants to can vote on it. Um, and it will be a popular decision, not something made by a couple of administrators as it was 45 years ago. Correct. That's 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 what we hope is the end result. That is a uh, is a uh, a mass ma- uh, with mass input. Mm-hmm. So um, there'll still be a lot of people who are upset, right? We 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 hope that folks will understand um, in time. But yeah, we we understand that. The, and and you know, and quite honestly, if if. If you are an alum or, you know, a student maybe in your senior year and Colonials is all you know, um, yeah, that, that can be difficult. But, but you know, sometimes change, change is necessary. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, you went through this with the rebranding and changing the logo of the yeah. university too, right? Yes. You were kind of nitpicked to death. Oh, yeah, that was a, for that about was a, a year. That was a challenging uh, process. Um, but, but, you know, and that there was much more disclosure around that than there was there was this or the feeling um but the feeling's the same from from folks you know it's 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 when it can appear as someone else is making the decision um there are always going to be folks who are who are not quite happy about it and it's i think it's our job as a committee to to try to have as many conversations as possible to be as open but also to make sure that we're being as, as inclusive as possible which is why recommendations were asked from the community and the voting will come from the community as well, not from the committee. Is everybody voting? It's a student vote, I thought. We're, we were working on that last week, and we, we, mm. we want to make sure that you know, uh, faculty, staff, and students um, are in there. But also we're trying to figure out a way to do it to include the alums um, because they're, you know, they're not on banner. They don't have a um, – so right. we have to do a completely different system. But we also want to make sure it's one person, one vote. <laughs> That'll be the hardest part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Anna, you're the uh, SGA, Student Government Association president. You have a lot of other stuff going on, too. But are you, how do you feel about this process at the moment, this mascot process? Um, I definitely, I came into this in July wanting to be over and done with in December, and it's March next week. So, um, I, you know, I know this isn't, this isn't something to be rushed, but I definitely want this to be done by the time, um, May comes around just cause the people and there's people on SGA who are to speak truth to power who, um, you know, this, the mascot was a conversation long before George Floyd and um, last fall specifically, I remember mm. Paul Horkin, he, I remember him having a conversation with administration about the mascot change. So it was as recent as that. And there was a petition by Speak Truth to Power. So I think just so, you know, the people who 
know the university and, you know, kind of have that influence and knowledge. I want it to be done so I don't have to transition people. And then there's just, you know, the transition is going to cause a delay on something that I think could work. Um, I do think that it is, we have representation of many different groups. Um, students are represented, represented alums, faculty, staff, and administration. So there is a lot of, there is perspectives and there's, there's really nobody that's being left out of the conversation. Um, I will say that our student members have dropped off um, right now. I think, I forgot what the initial number is. On the committee, you mean? Yeah, of the committee, yeah. Um, there was at least 10 student representatives. Now only three consistently attend. So that is something that I was also ex expressing was concern, just because this is being portrayed as student-led um, and it's really, we're in the minority. So I just want to make sure that, you know, students, it is accurate to what is being presented to the public with the process. Good. Uh, what's the next step in the process? The next step will be the, will be the vote. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, the, the the committee is finalizing the voted the voting mechanisms in the probably in our next meeting. Um, there'll be a little a little a little work with the the final list that'll go out to vote. But we're this is something we're really hoping to to have the voting go up mid March, close at the end of the month with an announcement with a recommendation made back um, by the committee in in April, so that we're done with cool. this before everybody goes home. Yeah, that'd be great. Then you got to get if it isn't you have to get another uh, crowd of first year students in and all that and like you said transition the message etc. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for all the work that you both are doing and the committee's doing on this. I know it's been a kind of long haul, and um, but I think the university will be better at the end of it. Hope so. And thanks for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for yeah, having me. Thank you for having us. Hopefully by the fall, our um, Welcome Week shirts will have a new mascot on them. So yeah. I will be here to see that, but hopefully I'll see on Instagram or social or other social media how they look like. So that's something that makes this worthwhile for me. Mm -hmm. You won't be here because you're a graduating senior, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Good. Congratulations on that, too. Thank you. We'll talk to you before you uh, leave, though. Okay, thanks, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. This week, we have our regular contributor, kind of a co-host, Rada Krell, <laughs> biology professor, but she's going to talk about her herself instead of other things, other people going on at the science department. Because you have a big secret, right, Prada? Prada? <laughs> I, yeah, a secret that, um, you know, under normal circumstances, we, I think, all try to keep, you know, and generally people keep health information private. But this is a situation where you need to uh, tell other people what's going on because there's always a chance it could have affected them. So, uh, yes, so I, um, this past week, had a positive COVID diagnosis which just, uh, I didn't believe it when I got the test results. So I can't believe it either. Of all people, you have <laughs> been talking on the podcast about how safe you are and how all the precautions you take. 
Well, I think that is where perhaps it's an important story to tell. And (laughs) that's what my kind of my perspective on the story today is, you know, even a biology professor can get COVID. And I think it's just sort of an eye opening moment to uh, to kind of to make it all seem more real. Um, So I think um, what I you know, so. I had an exposure. I knew I had an exposure. And so I kind of quarantined at home and kept myself separate from my children. And, um, you know, and if I had to leave my room, I wore a mask and gloves and I, but I thought I was being, I thought I was doing overkill. I was like, I'm not going to be positive. There's no way. And, um, and then five days later, I'm like, well, let me just get my test and cross it off the list. And it came back positive. And so I think the first thing that was interesting is when I've heard of other people having a positive diagnosis, I certainly have no, no judgment. Are you hearing that? Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah let me, um, let me close. close your email. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, that's all right. We can, we can take this that. moment to accuse Paul of uh, COVID shaming Rada <laughs> publicly. <laughs> I mean, last yeah, week yeah. he accused you of trying to steal his show. Now he's making you feel bad about your health status. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Let me. Sh- okay, I'm gonna like do this too. I can turn <laughs> off all notifications too, just in case. Okay, I think that will help. Um, okay, should I go back to the beginning? Should we start over? Uh, no, about, I don't think so. Just uh, oh, just the um, part where okay, we're. we're so- Yeah, I was just talking about, so, you know, the first thing that was surprising to me in getting the diagnosis was sort of the sense of failure that I faced. So um, I felt fine on the day of my diagnosis, but I think there was just this feeling of kind of a, a, you know, a moral failure and of course a scientific failure as a biology professor who had just a few weeks prior taught a lab about lab safety and how to stay safe in the lab and wear our masks and wash our hands and wear gloves and use hand sanitizer and not touch our faces. You were kind of bragging about it with us. <laughs> yeah, you can probably, it's all, it's all in the record, the public record. So you can find that. So yeah. So I think, um, and so I I hadn't thought about that in terms of other people and when they've sort of had to report a diagnosis that I think there's a little bit of a psychological, emotional component to just coming to terms with a positive diagnosis and again, some sort of guilt around that. Um, But I think what it brought home to me is, you know, my personal circle is very small of people that I'm with without a mask on in my home. You know, it's just three people. So I think what it brings home is, you know, if any one of those people has a crack in the bubble, um, that's really all it takes to perhaps let it in. <laughs> and, um, and it could really happen to anyone, um, you know, just we're all doing the best that we can. And so I think um, the first sort of thing that came home to me is just how important it is to um, to be accepting of anyone who has a positive diagnosis and understand that it really, I think, really can take a very small crack in, again, in the bubble to, for, for, you know, and, you know, sort of 
I hate to use this term as a scientist, but sort of bad luck, <laughs> you know, I think at some point it's just a numbers game and the the chance of something coming in um, could happen to anyone. Um, and we're all just sort of doing the best we can in terms of risk assessment, right? Like we're everything we're doing accumulates to better prevention. So wearing a mask gets us down to about, you know, less than 2% of a chance of, of picking it up from somewhere. Staying six feet apart also gets us, you know, down to, you know, less than 3% chance of picking it up from somewhere. So we do all these cumulative things, but it's still not 0% chance. You know, if we're leaving our home and we don't live in isolation by ourselves, <laughs> there are little cracks that, uh, that could leak in. So, mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there was the first stage was acceptance <laughs> of the diagnosis. Um, but then, you know, then what was interesting to me, again, as a scientist, so I'm, you know, of course, going to follow all of the CDC guidelines and um, get right into the, you know, basing on the best science when I should quarantine and how to quarantine. And that's where it got a little confusing because a lot of the start dates of your quarantine are based on when did you first have symptoms? And when I had my positive diagnosis, I was really just doing it out of an abundance of caution and had not really had symptoms at that time. And so there's sort of a disconnect between how you decide when to quarantine. Is it based on your exposure on your data for symptoms, on the date of your positive test. Um, and so putting all those pieces together, it's not as straightforward as you think it might be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in the end, it was a combination of talking to the contact tracer, talking to human resources at Western Connecticut State University to get- That's the good. Yes, and getting guidelines from them and, um, putting together the timeline. And then I, I'm personally adding in a couple of extra days just to be extra careful um, and to kind of build uh, the right quarantine uh, period. But uh, it, it brought it that home as well, too, as we hear like, oh, it's 14 days quarantine. And but figuring out the day to start the quarantine was more complicated than I thought when you really dig into that start date. So that was kind of, has been eye-opening as well. Um, and then I think just the timeline of how this thing hits, because from the date of exposure to the date, you can hear in my voice, I think I have like a, it sounds like I have a cold, um, to the date when I really had the kind of first day where I was like, oh, I have a bad cold. That was about nine days. And so it, and that was also after my positive COVID test. So my positive test came in before I really had symptoms. So I think the, the, it was also eye-opening to know how you could be walking around with it and not know that you have it and potentially be infective. So, because by the time I had the test, I could have been infected. Luckily, I had been at home and I had not been on campus um, because of the President's Day holiday. I had not been on campus at all. And when I had my exposure, then I stayed home. So that um, was a little bit of a relief to have not infected anyone. But again, I think even as a scientist taking the precautions, teaching students about how to take the precautions, also being someone who is a you know frequent consumer of science, 
believes in the science, consults the CDC, you know, considers Dr. Fauci a national hero. Um, with all of that, it's been uh, eye-opening that the the whole um, process is is relatively still confusing. And I can only imagine for kind of the average citizen, um, you know, how much, how confusing that has been as well. But um, yes, the good news is I think I'm about, let's see, what's today, Thursday? So I'm about a week, a week more of mm. off of campus that builds in, you know, a little bit of extra um, couple of days that I wanted to build in there just to be super safe. And then, you know, we'll re-enter the world. <laughs> I think the, the other part that was that was a little frustrating was, you know, um, is that the governor just came out with the new vaccine guidelines. And so I would have been eligible starting on March 22nd, again, assuming availability of the mm-hmm. vaccine as well. So I was like, ah, oh, I was so close to like making it to vaccine day um, without getting it. But I certainly will still get vaccinated um, as well as soon as I'm able to do that. Um, and then the other little, the silver lining I'm trying to find in all of this is that they are still using plasma from people who have been infected with COVID to treat current patients. And so once again, as soon as I am um, able to, I will look into donating plasma so that perhaps that could help someone else who is in the hospital. So again, I will leverage the science that I can provide <laughs> in whatever way is, is available um, to try to try to make the best of it. But anyway, I hope that our listeners have not been affected but if they have, um, you know, I can empathize. <laughs> and, now. Yes. <laughs> and I would not shame anyone for, for, <laughs> for picking it up. <laughs> A new appreciation. <laughs> would you like to name the person who exposed you, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, publicly shame. <laughs> yes. Um, no, it is. It's a little. It's a little vague, but you know, I kind of knew roughly what the the realm of of the potential exposure. So your yeah. own personal typhoid Mary that you want to put on blast. Yeah. <laughs> if you see this person, <laughs> so you were contacted by a contact tracer. Is that how you found out about it? Um, no, no, I, I did get like a personal message that oh, that may have been an exposure. So. Um, but, uh, but then afterwards I did talk to a contact tracer, um, when I got my positive diagnosis and, um, and that was interesting as well. And it's, it's, um, it's impressive how thoughtful they are and I have to say how empathetic as well. So they went through, of course, gathering all the information that they need in terms of contact tracing, which luckily was pretty straightforward in my case, cause I had not been out of my house, um, but the, uh, what was interesting is they, they took into account the emotional side of like, you know, are you alone? You know, are you isolated? Do you need to talk with someone? Are you depressed? Because you could see where, if you're going to have to be sealed in your house for two weeks, um, they asked, do you have someone who can bring you groceries, you know, uh, which I thought it was interesting that it wasn't just procedural in terms of where have you been? 
who could you have contacted? There was um, a kindness to the contact tracing that um, I hadn't anticipated, but I thought was um, that was nice that it was a human experience as well and not just a uh, data collection phone call. <laughs> so yeah, that is good. Mm-hmm. So are you going to be well enough to come back next week on the podcast or maybe you can just give your update? Yeah, yeah, yes. I believe, yes, next week actually would be my day that including my buffer day that potentially I could come back to campus. So, um, but again, we've been doing this remotely anyway. So, right. but yes, yeah, I can give you a, an update next week, um, which hopefully will be uh, just hide in your house and then... <laughs> We'll feel better, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm hoping to make it through without, uh, get my vaccine and not have uh, have the um, uh, COVID, but we'll see. Yeah, hang in there, hide. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As Peter puts on his mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, it's nice to see humans, especially in the, you know, more locked down uh, circumstance than usual. Yeah. But, um, but all is well. But very, again, I think even as a biologist, a rather eye opening experience to go through personally and yeah. brings home that, you know, you. You can understand it from an analytical point of view, but it is different to go through it personally. We were shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I really just did not believe it. No. Next, Dr. Fauci will get sick. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's out there in the front lines. You would think that his exposure potential is higher. Yeah, yeah. But... No, I think he got a test or a vaccine already. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. He should be good. So. Yeah. All right. Well, take it easy. I guess that's all you can do. And so we're looking forward to talking to you next week. Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rada. Bye. <laughs> okay. So any, and I, um, I'll reach out to Mitch too. Yeah. That'd be great. I'll see. I'm sure he'd be up for it. He's doing, you know, his class is a climate change um, class for non-majors. So he's doing some like cool stuff and he has, you know, really diverse students in there from like meteorology to like English majors and um, that are, uh, you know, taking it for a science credit. But um, anyway, he's been doing some fun stuff. So yeah, well, that'll be great. Yeah. And it's a new, it's a brand new class this semester. So good. Anyway. Okay. Well, Stay healthy. I'm glad you're on the other end of a screen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll be bulletproof soon enough, right? With our bodies and vaccines, et cetera. So, (laughs) okay. Thanks. Thanks. See you later. Bye. Bye. Uh, Pete, you know we have had a little uh, influx of COVID. It's not just Rada Krell. It's <laughs> students on living on campus who have had um, gotten more COVID. And we saw an uptick in Litchfield Hall, a handful of students. So uh, it looked like it was a center. So we decided we had to quarantine the whole building, that's a residence hall on campus, which we hadn't done before. And 
we were a little nervous about how it would go, but it sounds so far like students are accepting of it. Some have said, yes, please do that. We don't want to uh, be spreading it everywhere and it's safer for us, even though they basically have to stay in the building for two weeks. There's a courtyard there, inner courtyard at Litchfield Hall, so they can walk around there with their masks. Uh, food is being delivered to them by Sodexo. They're taking their courses on all online if they happen to have any in-person courses. The professors are making adjustments. So they're getting a lot of uh, downtime. And by the end of this week, they should be out of it. Of course, some of, <laughs> they're all being tested a lot. Yeah, We're trying to test 100% of them every few days. So we'll see how that goes. Overall, our numbers are still pretty good, though, right? Yes. We're still better than the city of Danbury. We're still yep. well within our where we'd like to be. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, we've seen the, what we kind of expected. There's uh, If somebody is in a residence hall and gets sick, they're spreading it to some of the people around them. We're Especially seeing... there, because that Litchfield has, like, shared bathrooms. And, you know, in, the, in some of the other buildings where there's suites, I think you're, you're – Likelier yeah. to, to be able to contain it in a, a, a large communal building like that. I think it's riskier. Yep. And you got to keep wearing your mask. It's not 100%, but you got to be very careful with all that stuff. And it definitely helps. And, uh, you know, when people are not, when they're commuters, they're getting exposed, maybe in family situations or whatever, and not knowing it. And they come on. And so we've seen a few of that too. But as we've said before, 100% of our students are should be tested. They're eligible to be tested. The only reason they don't is if they don't show up. And uh, our judicial office is actually tracking them down too and um, um, give them, giving them a good talking to if they don't show up and yeah. And it's like Greta uh, said, it's not, it's never going to be a hundred percent, but it's, it's risk mitigation. It's doing everything right. you can to, to lower your risk so that when that, you know, small chance happens, you're protected. So exactly. Just keep doing everything you can. And you know, these new variations or variants are coming in and they're much more contagious apparently. So somebody's going to get it. It's going to spread around. You know, we have it in, Connecticut and we probably have it on campus too. Yeah. So you just got to wait for that vaccine. Try to do the best you can until the vaccine comes. Yep. Hang on. Yep. It'll be here pretty soon. And we are at the moment planning to have commencement on campus. We're going to have one for, um, we're going to split it up among schools and have it in person. Probably you can only going to be able to invite two people for each student, but we're going to stream it for live for everybody who can't come. And, uh, you know, commencements, as you know, Pete, is a big deal. And it's very meaningful when you do it in person. And uh, it's an important thing to do to kind of cap off your college career. Yeah, it's great. It's a good high note to end on this week. Um, I think I'm sure people are very excited about that, even if it's not exactly what they'd always had in mind, where they're all sitting in a big sea of people and throwing their hats. At least it's it's something, you know, it's yeah. it's, it's as as good as we can do right now. I think that's I think that's cool. Actually, I think I might have jumped the gun. It's in we're in the process of discussing <laughs> it. And uh, 
Probably I won't get in trouble, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. I'll report back next week. There you if go. I get we'll find out if you're still here. <laughs> That's right. Maybe Rita will take over the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call in as a guest. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. I think that's it. That's so it. until next week, right? Yep. I'm Paul Steinmetz for P. Puccio, and this is at WCSU. At WCSU is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at WCSU Media and on the university's Facebook and Twitter pages. And feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening.